Hey listeners, this is Samai from The Unsexy Startup. Before we get into our first live episode ever, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Brex Credit Cards. The first corporate credit card for startups. Brex founders Enrique Dubugras and Pedro Franceschi built a payments business in Brazil, but faced a particular unsexy time getting rejected for a corporate credit card when they came to the U.S. So they launched Brex. With instant online sign-up, no founder liability required and limits 10 to 20 times higher than standard cards. Sign up for Brex and get card fees waived by entering the code UNSEXY during sign up. What's up, guys? So my name is Samai Parikh. I'm a VC at Quake Capital, and I'm also the co-host of a podcast, which Ryan is on now, called The Unsexy Startup. Um, the theme of The Unsexy Startup is that we focus on interviewing founders about resilience, grit, more things related to EQ and the challenges they have of scaling their company. Um, lately, you know, more people are piling into entrepreneurship. A lot of people want to be a founder, but they don't really have a, uh, a holistic or realistic view of what a, being a founder is. And, um, you know, by interviewing people such as Ryan that have experienced multiple exits and have kind of ate shit along the way to do that. Right. I mean, they can give you great insight on what it is to really build a company. If you're a seed or pre-seed founder, which are our listeners or founding team or employees of a company as well that are growing. Um, and so on this podcast, I wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk about um, ego, humility, and mental health as a founder. Um, being a founder is the hardest job in the world, I will say. Um, a lot of it is figuring it out, um, you know, having a vision for your company, maintaining culture, meeting payroll, um, meeting personal needs and your family needs at home as well. Um, and so having to balance all of that um, can sometimes get overwhelming and frustrated. Um, and also, I wanted to talk about what Electric's vision was, what the theme of the company is, and where you guys are going moving forward. Um, and, you know, previous to Electric, Ryan was the founder of Banquet, which sold to USA Today. And then right after that started Swarm, which then sold to Groupon. And then you moved to the Valley for about a few years. And then you came back here to uh, start Electric. And Mary my wife is in the audience. <laughs> and thanks so much for hopping on, Ryan. Yeah, no, hey, thanks for coming out of the office. So, you know, just want to dive into questions. You know, what gave you the itch to start your third company? And, you know, what was the origin behind Electric? Yeah, so most people here in the audience are probably sick of hearing some version of this story. <laughs> um, but no, basically, so when I was running Swarm in, in San Francisco, we got to that, that point around like 40 employees where we didn't care at all about IT. And then you get to about 40 people and you're like, wait a second how are we going to set these computers up? Uh, what are we doing about security? Uh, the Wi-Fi is out and now the VoIP phones are dead and I have to send the sales team home. So it went from like a total non-issue one day to like us losing $20,000 a day in revenue when the sales team couldn't make phone calls. Um, and so at the time I just thought to myself like, oh, okay, well there's probably like a half a dozen startups in San Francisco that are building like a modern IT solution. Um, and there were none which seemed you know, crazy to me, right? Um, we were an early user of uh, Zenefits at Swarm. Like they built one of the first like, software-enabled HR platforms. I'm like, surely there's like a Zenefits for IT. Um, but what I ended up having to do, like in the midst of our like phone and, and Wi-Fi outage, was go on Yelp, uh, which is where most solutions go to die for your <laughs> business. Um, I'm on Yelp, like best IT, San Francisco. And you know, it's basically all these like, you know, two three-man shops run by, you know, most of them run by a guy named Larry. <laughs> 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 and 
person. Uh, he's like, yeah, and then like, I'm going to send my brother-in-law over there by Friday. It's like, yeah, but it's a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> no one can make phone calls. Um, so like that whole experience just struck me as extremely backwards and, and, and silly. And at the same time, I remember thinking like, all right, well, I'm, I'm in downtown San Francisco. Like, I'm at the epicenter of software innovation, but like the way that all of that technology and software is supported is by Larry and his brother-in-law. Yeah. That literally makes no sense to me. Like, it just it just struck me as such an obvious thing that uh, that needed to change. So, my my whole my only hope when I was running Swarm was by the time we we hopefully exited Swarm that there wouldn't be ten other companies trying to do this. Right, and and you said there's again maybe one or two competitors trying to do this. I mean. What like speaking of that, you know, like, how do you deliver great value to your customers, and you know, segment yourself? Yeah. So, in coming up with what we wanted to really make electric out of the gate, we just looked at what are the biggest pain points and the, and the most annoying aspects of dealing with the traditional, you know, local IT consultant or doing it yourself. Um, and you know, from my own experience and looking at you know problems that my friends would have with you know with their companies. It was, it was kind of always the same thing. It's, you know, the two to four hour SLA. So you're often waiting hours just to figure out if anybody even got the request um, that you sent in. Um, it's, you know, really not having any clue as to when things are going to get fixed, when something's going to get set up. Um, so we're dealing with these local consultants, like half of what you're paying for is for them to reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, and so what we're able to do is basically say, look, as a business, IT is not your core competency. It should never be your core competency. Leave it to somebody who thinks about this 24 um, seven to make it as easy and efficient and painless uh, as possible. And were, were people biting into that right away as you were pitching it or was it, did it take some time? Like how was that process? Yeah, so I think the biggest difference between this company and my first two companies was that my first two companies, we didn't actually start with a really big name point and then build a product around that. We basically, we're idiots and we're like, how do we build a startup and like sell stuff to people? It's <laughs> like, you, you want to be a founder? That's a terrible way to start a business. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, with, uh, with electric, it was just the other way around. It was like, Hey, we've identified that like there's a handful of really, really annoying things with every IT provider that it, it's really easy to understand. So when I started going around to, to different companies, my friends, companies, whoever, and being like, don't you hate it when like this happens and that happens? They're like, yeah, like that sucks. Can you fix that? I'm like, welcome to electric. <laughs> <laughs> and what are your core competencies as a company? Uh, I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit in terms of like the value that we deliver to the customer, right? Which is efficiency, uh, predictability, and increasingly what now we're trying to build in the product is intelligence, right? Knowing that our customer is not the IT expert, they don't want to be the IT expert. Um, we want to do the thinking for them, right? So within 30 days of going live with us, you actually get a report that analyzes everything that you're doing with all of your technology in-house. And then we're recommending, you know, things that you can do differently to actually improve, um, you know, kind of how your IT infrastructure operates, right? So like if you're a fintech company, security is really important. We're going to spit out a whole page of notes that says, hey, here are the five things that we can roll out for you that'll make you more secure. Um, and so it's stuff like that where I mean, that just that would be that would be you know tens of hours of a consultant's time um, just to try to get that information. It might take you know a consultant many months to come up with that. And our goal is like let's just get you the answers right away and, 
and make it super easy. And the, the technology, in my opinion, is super impressive. The part of the market that, I mean, we've talked about over the phone that you're targeting is super impressive. As you guys continue to scale at like a very aggressive rate, I mean, what is the vision for electric for the future? Yeah, so I think if you look at the IT industry as a whole, it's it's about as old school and backwards as uh, as you would probably see in any kind of modern service industry. Um, there's hundreds of thousands of local consultants. Um, most of these consultants are or consultancies are under five employees, right? So these are not companies that are really set up for um, for innovation. And so I think anytime you have a big industry with a lot of repetitive human behavior. Well, that's all stuff that can and should be done by software. So our view long-term is that IT should be delivered as a product, not as a service. And so our goal is to build a product. And I think the view long-term is that we can, if we can succeed in being the first people to truly productize uh, IT, that there's no reason why we can't be a very large global business uh, with really no cap to, to how big it can get. And so your, your series A was recent. I mean, you know, you guys scaled to what? 60 employees now, I believe. Yeah, you kind of offers out. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what's important to you guys in, in hiring and retaining employees in the various areas of the business? Um, yeah, so in my previous companies, we made a lot of bad hiring decisions. And it was mostly because we didn't really knew, we didn't know who we were as a company and like what we wanted and what we cared about. Uh, so we, we kind of made the rookie mistake of just saying like, hey, here's our org chart. These are all the empty boxes. Like, go fill the boxes as quickly as possible. Um, and so that's there's a big difference between recruiting and hiring talent. And so in the end, like, you don't want to fill a seat. You actually just want to, like, get people on the team that have the right mix of attitude and work ethic. Most, you know, most skills can be taught, um, you know, specifically stuff about, you know, what you're selling or your industry, right? Um, you can't change someone's attitude. Uh, and you can't make someone a hard worker if they're not already. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the, the big objective for us. And I think also, particularly at this stage, like finding people that think like an owner, right? So whether it's like an owner of your life and your goals and all of that, but also then carrying that over and thinking like an owner of their team, uh, like an owner of the company, uh, which is really hard to do. Um, but I think what we found is that when, when you do that, a huge chunk of this company are people that I think at one point in their lives probably will have the ability to go start their own company um, because they have those skills. And when you have a whole team of people um, that are that are just like scrappy and, and hardworking like that, that think like an owner, then you get a company that grows at 400% year over year. And like, you know, I can relate to that as well. I mean, I've, I've started a startup, like we've scaled from A to C. And I've saw like the culture and everybody there. And I was, I was like the 50th, 60th person there. And I learned a lot of that as I've gone on to do a venture previously. And it, it, I learned a lot and they, they instilled the importance of acting as an owner of the company. Um, how did you, you know, for people coming in, how did you maintain or, or instill that within them? That kind of mindset of, you know, hey, be an owner of this, own this team or like own this product. It starts with like the first dozen or so people that, uh, that you hire because that's going to set the tone for everybody else that comes in. Like A players attract A players. If you have, you know, if you hire a bunch of jerks early on, like you're going to just attract like more jerks and then it's going to be really not fun place to work. You know? Right. And, you know, it's sort of like if a toxic culture develops early on, like it's really hard to unwind that. Um, and so, I mean, that's kind of how we, you know, that's how we started things. So, you know, when I look back at, 
you know, the, some of the first hires that we made, whether it's, you know, Julian, who is the first hire on our support team, like, you know, that guy sort of embodies what it is to be, you know, someone who, who's on the team at Electric, you know, I'm 90% of the job that he does now, no one ever asked him to do any of it. You know, he just came in on day one and was like, all right, there's like a sheet of paper that says these are the things that I should be doing. And then he just kind of ran with it from there. And then as we built a whole support team around him, you know, and hired more customer support folks, like everyone that we hired looked at what he was doing and said, oh, I guess that's how it's done here. Like if I see, you know, a trash can that needs to be emptied, I'm just going to assume no one's going to empty it unless I do. Right. And then, I mean, to this day, is still um, kind of the, the attitude that, that permeates here. Right. And, you know, switching gears into, you know, of course, the topic of the podcast and of this episode, of course, is around resilience and, you know, keeping the ego in check and practicing humility, um, which can be a difficult thing to do. I mean, um, what like what do you feel is like was the most challenging time for electric or for swarm or for banquet? Like, what do you remember clearly that you were like, man, this was like this felt like the bottom? Uh, I remember very clearly. Uh, so it was 27 running swarm and I had, I had like been broke for a while, but it was like, like manageable broke. And then it was getting to like, Oh wait, uh, I have $50 to get me to the end of the week. Like, like kind of that level. And as a company, we were perpetually like on the cusp of running out of money. Um, and so, yeah, that was probably the, the hardest part. I mean, even in my apartment, like I didn't own any furniture. I just had a mattress on the floor. Um, but I had to take out a, uh, Capital One venture card, and then I hooked it to my Venmo account. This fun fact, you can hook a credit card to your Venmo. They'll charge you 3%, but you can use that to, to pay people. Uh, and so I would Venmo my roommate for the rent every month so I can basically put my rent on the credit card, uh, which is a really good way to rack up $30,000 in <laughs> across a bunch of credit cards. But I was like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't have a choice. Like, I don't have, like, I'm not, I don't, like, parents to call to, like, ask for money or was, you know, we didn't consider that there were, you know, we were paying ourselves, you know, barely anything. Um, we were the two lowest paid employees of the company, my co-founder and I. So I think managing your own psychology through that is probably the, the, the trickiest part because you're like, you got to show up every day and be like, all right, guys, like, let's go, let's, you know, let's do this thing. And then meanwhile, on the inside, you're just like, just totally falling apart. Like, yeah. oh my God, like, like even if like, I got to maybe sell my mattress. And then I think too, it's like also then, you know, in like in my late twenties, I was starting to see that like my friends were, were really starting to, to find a rhythm with their careers and starting to do well. And I'm like, why do I always pick the hardest job? Like, <laughs> you know, I had friends who were, you know, sales guys and they're like, oh, I just got my commission check. Let's go to Mexico. And I'm like, I literally can't leave. Right. <laughs> um, and so like that, that was hard too. Cause then I just kept thinking like, all right, well, if the company fails, like I have, I'm, I'm in the whole 30 G's. I have a company that most people said was going to fail. So now it did fail. So now I'm, I'm the asshole who, <laughs> when I guess what they said. Um, and so I think that was like trying to reconcile like professional failure and tying so much of my own uh, personal confidence and identity to what previously was a string of personal successes. So it's like, wait, if that if the business doesn't work, then like, who am I? What do I have? And that's a, like a weird, weird conversation to have with yourself. How did you like, were there, how did you like keep yourself together? I mean, every day, like 
<laughs> it was just like, what was like, what like, what was kind of just like, I mean, if you have like no support and like you know, like stories like that, and there are multiple events where it happens. I mean, yeah. How has that shaped you to become like the entrepreneur you are today? Well, one, you just you, for me, like you just like start talking. You stop talking shit on anyone who's failing because you're like, I get it. Like that's you hard. Yeah, like, yeah. And particularly in Silicon Valley, because you have all these startups. And some of them are stupid ideas. Some of them are good. A lot of them, you know, don't work out. It's easy, you know, when your company's funded and you're like, that's a stupid idea, like whatever. And then when you're in this position where you're like, and we're going to have to lay everybody off in two months and then I'll be literally on the street, you're kind of like, well, who knows what that person's going through. Right. So it kind of like, if, if that doesn't sort of like ground you and just start to kind of respect like whatever, whatever battle, like, anyone you meet is like probably fighting some battle that they're not going to tell you about. And so then that's, you sort of realize like, Oh yeah, like I'm basically that's, you know, I'm in that same position. So you sort of come out of it with just a lot of respect for any situation that anyone's in. Um, and so no, I don't know, like how to keep it together. It probably wasn't, I don't know if you knew me at the time, uh, I was not I was not a lot of fun to be around. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I mean it's impressive that you're able to keep your feet on the ground, especially now. And you know, companies blow up because of several reasons. Um, one of them primarily being running out of funding, um, fights between the founders. Founders just give up even after they run out of funding or like can't decide to pivot. The list goes on, right? But like I think a main reason even I've seen with, um, you know, investments in other funds and, you know, just founders I know in general, a few of them, I mean, a huge reason is ego. Um, how can founders get out their own way before they like self-sabotage their company and their culture? Yeah. Well, so I think humans were really good at justifying pretty much anything, right? <laughs> Which is literally so. And I think as a founder, the biggest thing, biggest thing that I learned a while back and what I've seen with companies that don't make it is, it doesn't matter what you know in, in what you did in your previous job. If your previous job wasn't starting a company, you don't know 90% of the things that you're going to need in order to be successful. And so the companies that tend to fail the quickest are often the founders that basically convince themselves that they know what they're doing. And those are the scariest people to talk to, right? Like the last thing on earth you want to do, like if you, if you meet a founder and they're just like, they really think that they have all their shit together and they have it all figured out. Like, run away. Like it's not something that you're going to want to work for. It's not something you're going to want to invest in because you actually, you don't know most of the things that you're going to need to do. You just have to be aware of the fact that you don't know those things. And so where the ego gets in the way is that most, most of the pain that a startup ends up going through is self-inflicted. So like at our first, you know, with Banquet and with Swarm, like the reason why Banquet almost failed was because we spent a year and a half building a website that we cared about. Um, largely because we thought we knew better, even though we didn't actually take the time to do any of the research to figure out like, do people want this product that we're building, right? So like all the, all the pain that we went through was like purely because like, we just had this inflated vision of ourselves, uh, which is totally wrong. Like my co-founder and I were not experts in online media yet. We thought we had figured out a way to build a competitor to ESPN. Um, it sounds crazy, but like, you know, go to a startup meetup and you're going to be a lot of people that, uh, probably have like a kind of a similar view of themselves. Um, so yeah, I think just like assume that you're wrong and assume that you don't, or that you're misinformed and don't have the answers and then just talk to people who have done it before because that's generally going to be the best source of, of truth. 
And with like, it's funny you said that, right? Like I, I go to like, I will speak on panels sometimes or I'll go to networking events and like founders will be like, oh, we have like a $400 billion valuation. We have no customers and no money in the bank account. And it's kind of just like, you know, dude, get your head out of your ass for like a second and, you know, try to be humble and learn. I mean, and, and you know, you were saying inflated visions of ourselves when you were working on Banquet, which was your first startup. Yeah. I mean, what changed um, when going into Swarm? And then like, what has that, how have you like gradually changed going into electric after that? So I think, well, I think with Swarm, the reason why we ended up, it ended up being successful despite the fact that it got off to such a bad start. And a lot of that was because with Banquet, we pivoted the business. Like the, the, the business was a wreck, but we didn't really know it was a wreck until like a year and a half in. And then we pivoted the whole thing, like basically overnight. And we were able to get, get to kind of eke out a small win selling it to, to USA Today. So like the pain in that business was like very short lived. And then we went straight into working for a public company. So it was kind of like we we learned some hard lessons, got away with it. But ultimately, I think after four years at a public company, we were like fooled ourselves into thinking like, we've had an exit. We know exactly what we're doing, which was totally wrong. We actually, I think we probably knew less by the time we left USA Today. Uh, that we did uh, when we got there. So do you think it was like a restart every time? No, like- well, it should have been, right? Like, right. I think if we, if if, uh, if Banquet had actually failed and we had failed to exit, we would have had to like take a step back and reflect and been like, wow, what is the laundry list of things that we screwed up? Um, but because we kind of had a quick pivot into, um, you know, into going into a public company, we I don't think we ever took the time to reflect. We just had this like, false sense of accomplishment and like false sense of expertise. But mm-hmm. like really we were, we were a couple of guys that knew how to sell ads on websites and we we're like, let's go start a retail analytics company and like build hardware in China and like, what could go wrong? And it's like, we don't literally know how to do any of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I kind of relate startups as to like jumping off the cliff and then like before you go splat, trying to build the wings. So you can not die. Yeah, mostly. Right? There's one, yeah, they're like build the jet engine in flight. Yeah. I don't know how you'd be flying without the engine. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I specifically wanted to save this topic for our conversation. Um, you know, you truly have humility. Otherwise, like you wouldn't be able to attract top talent here and have three successful businesses. Um, and, you know, what are some new you know, what are some new ways founders can develop the humility that you have to better grow their company? Uh, probably going and failing at something like, so even if you've had a relatively steady career, um, but then, and then you decide you want to kind of jump in and be a founder, like it just, it just helps to suck at stuff and like, <laughs> be aware that you suck. Um, and, you know, so like, start there. I don't know. Um, that's a good, really good place to start. I mean, in my case, like we, we sort of learned, we learned that we sucked at building a business while we were attempting to build one, which I wouldn't advise to most people. Like, <laughs> go figure, like, like go, go learn those lessons somewhere else. Um, but no, in general, like self awareness is, is it's super important. Like, it's really helpful to hang out with people that don't let you get away with stuff. Um, you know, like now in my case, like my wife doesn't let me get away with anything. So <laughs> and she'll stop me in a sentence, like, you're right, you're just making up stuff now, right? But it's like, <laughs> But it, but I mean, it's important, right? Like you, uh, you don't want to like live in an echo chamber of you know a whole bunch of people that think exactly the same way as you and always laugh at your jokes and this and that. Like, just, it's kind of crazy. Just like yeah, just like get out there and just just screw up a lot of things. <laughs> My girlfriend doesn't let me get away with much either. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, what about the employees at the Seed and Series A? I mean, how can they apply humility to everything that they're doing? I mean, they're, you guys are experienced like a hyper-velocity growth startup and like you guys are seeing transition far more faster than a lot of organizations in this country, even in this world, are witnessing. I mean, you know, how can the culture replicate that humility? And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a unique situation, but I think like what, you, what you have at any company like this is... is the company evolves often faster than individuals are going to evolve, right? So, like, there's aspects of this company already, even like we haven't even been around for two years, but like, there's parts of this business that have grown faster than my ability to like comprehend. That's so cool. Skills that I'm, that I'm lacking yeah. or whatever, right? And so, I think as a team, like, the exact same thing is going to happen, right? Like, all of a sudden, we, you know, we build a big sales organization or we're like trying to solve some really complex, you know, tricky stuff with engineering. Um, we just have to know that like, Hey, like I, I might've been here a little while or I might've just got it. Like you don't necessarily have all, all the answers. And like the best thing that we can do as a company is continue to hire great people that have the answers that we don't have that are good at the things that we're bad at because there's no bonus points for doing it the hard way. Um, like for the most part, like my job and like our job here, um, we don't have to solve uh, it's not our job to solve every problem uh, ourselves. It's our job to just make sure that the problem is solved, right? Um, and that's probably the biggest thing. So, do you feel like resourcefulness is a huge part of that? Yeah, I mean, like, so, like, really good example. So, when we started, um, you know, we started building out our our sales team, for example, um, started hiring a lot of people. Two of our of the earliest people on the sales team, uh, Matt and Jamie, sitting in the back, um, they were not, you know. They were not managers, but they acted like managers and would literally get off the phone, lean over to the person next to them and say, Hey, I heard the way, you know, you pitched this and we answered that question. Like, here's what I want. I think you should do it this way. I think you should do it that way. Right. Like in the end, I mean, that's like, that, that is how you actually, you know, accomplish all the things that you want and you can't really teach that. Right. Um, and so that's, yeah, like I said, I mean, the, the, the job isn't that you solve the problem. It's just that you make sure that it, that it gets solved. I'm sure you yourself know many VCs and founders. I mean, we were talking offline about this as well. I mean, what are some common mistakes you see founders make early on that directly involve their ego? Yeah. Well, so the biggest one is like not not letting go of different responsibilities, which to me always seems crazy. Yeah. Like I don't know about you guys, but like to me, it's pretty obvious when I micromanage like not good at something <laughs> or like don't know what I'm talking about. And so the last thing on earth I would want to do is like continue to own. A responsibility that, I, that I'm that I'm shitty at, right? Like, um, you know, I built so like our financial model for uh, for 2018. I built while I was on the airplane flying out of my wedding in January. Um, the last time I took a math class, I got a D. Um, <laughs> I got away in college math without taking an actual exam. I got to write an essay because my professor felt so bad for me. Yeah. So like, <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't want me around the spreadsheet, but I was like, whatever, I got to figure this out. But um, you know, and then you can kind of like, and I can look across all the other aspects of the business. And so I remember coming back from my wedding and I'm like, geez, I need to hire a COO like yesterday. Yeah. You know, I'm like, cause there's just all this shit I'm, I'm just really bad at and I don't like doing it, you know? And so like, you gotta get that stuff off your plate as quickly as possible. Um, and then likewise, if you're an early employee or, you know, an early manager, like same deal, like recognize like where you're going to have the biggest impact and just let you try to let go of everything else. Um, 
if you can. And so I, I don't think I'll ever understand why a huge percentage of founders insist on running huge chunks of the business that they know nothing about. Like, <laughs> they do. Uh, more see it all the time. Them, that's the biggest thing. Just like, don't keep banging your head against the wall. It's kind of like you're, you're, you're building a team so they can teach you what to do. Best thing you can do is fire yourself from every job. Like, <laughs> Get out your own way. As a founder, yeah. Like, you, you, chances are, like, if you are a founder, you're you're not the best in the world at anything. Um, and so, as a result, like, you shouldn't try to own any one division of the company for very long. And you, you were saying, you know, not letting go of different responsibilities, right? It's it's so easy for someone, uh, a pre-seed or seed founder, to have one or two people in their team, and then their heads down, and they have their blinders on, and they're doing five million things. And they don't get rid of that. I mean, as you were saying, you know, what's the direct result of doing that as you're growing still? Like what what's like what are the outcomes that happen if you you constantly are are like not letting go of what you should be? Uh, you just don't go anywhere. Like, right. <laughs> you, 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 like the problem the things that were like a huge problem a year ago, you wake up and are still a problem and then you've not moved past that. So and that's like that's probably the hardest part for for companies to get from an idea and a few people working on it to an actual business with repeatable processes um, and, and a scalable company around it is that like zero to one phase, um, you have a lot of people having to basically do the job that a much, much larger company, um, you know, should be doing. So like if I take it back to the, you know, when Electric was a, you know, was a, was a six person company, it was, you know, me and Bill making sales calls. Uh, ourselves and like sending out, you know, mail merges and then, but like, it was also then, you know, he and I going on site and like pulling cat five cables and hanging, you know, people's Wi-Fi routers, um, which is like not, probably not good for anybody. You know, it seemed, it seemed to work. Um, you know, like that's actually the hardest part when you're like, wait, I'm like, I'm a founder or, you know, in my case, like I'm trying to be a CEO and like lead to our vision, but at the same time, like, you know, I just spent two hours at, you know, uh, B&H trying to buy a bunch of like security cameras for one of our customers. Like, this is insane. Why am I here? <laughs> right. You know, then, and so then you have to like, <laughs> it's like days like that that would get super frustrating because you're like, so I've told a bunch of people this is going to be a billion dollar company, uh, except it's six in the morning and I'm plugging in someone's phones and it's a construction site and like, this does not <laughs> seem at all. Like, <laughs> More focused on like the, this bled over into the next question, but I mean, yeah. more focused on like, you know, letting go of control and like hiring a team, you know, how are you able to pitch a team when you're at that like stage of six and trying to go to 50 now and like, Hey, this is like my vision. And like, you know, I want to share it with you. Would you like to come on board and help me grow this thing? You know, what are ways to do that? I mean, it's, it's, I, I've always believed like a founder has to be slightly delusional or is slightly delusional to pitch their idea because you have to pitch someone on coming to a team and building something out of yeah. thin air, essentially. I, don't know. I think it's totally reasonable, but that might make me delusional. Right. Um, it's like, like it all seems so obvious. Look, it's going to be a huge business. I know there's four of us, but um, yeah, I mean, well, so it's like, it's twofold. One, it's like bark up the right tree, like where we, where we screwed up a lot of our hiring. My last company was like going after people that clearly would never have any interest in taking that kind of a risk, right? So like that's the, one of the biggest issues you might run into is like a huge chunk of the population, no matter how good the sales pitch sounds, is never going to leave their job and go try to work uh, for you at that given stage. So 
like making sure that you're going after the kinds of people that might be interested in that, that's super important. Um, and then the second piece is like, you just have to be honest about like where you actually are and what are the steps to getting to, you know, where you're going to be. Because uh, it's kind of a weird example, but anyone who watches uh, South Park, there's <laughs> that, there that one episode where they were like, step one, steal underpants. Step two, step three, profit. Because <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense, right? right. So um, I think, and like that was one of the issues that we had with, with both Banquet and Swarm, was it was kind of that like step two, nothing, step three, profit. And they're like, but wait, what does it like, how are like, hard? I don't see a cogent plan for, uh, for getting there. And so I think if you're, if you're talking to people that aren't afraid to take risks, that, um, you know, that understand kind of what you're after and, and, and the thing you're trying to build, half the battle is just presenting a plan and a vision that is actually believable. Right. So, right. I mean, I think, you know, like if we're, if we're successful, um, you know, going into next year, like good shot, this will be, you know, a company that's many, many, many times larger even than when we raised our, our series A. Um, I think if we, you, if I told you in our seat round when we were four people, like that's where we're going to be in three years without any evidence of how we were going to get there. then no, like, of course nobody would believe it, but. And do you feel like, do you feel a lot of founders that's tied to the ego, right? Is like kind of just rushing the process or just only thinking about how much money I'm going to get out of this yeah, venture. If I have the money, then we'll just figure it out. It's like, that's not a strategy. Right. And it, but it should be more than the money too, right? Like it's, I feel like a lot of people go into their, their ego tells them like, I'm going to make millions of dollars. And like, that's the thesis of what they're building. Yeah. I mean, the odds are you, you won't. Um, and so, yeah, like you kind of have to be obsessed with like building and creating and the actual process of it um and then knowing that like hey i'm going to take the, the passion i have for for building something and creating something um and kind of like blazing my own trail and i'm gonna and i'm gonna apply that to a very high risk high reward type of scenario um but like if if money's your number one motivator getting into this it's not like that's not going to be enough to actually sustain you like the passion has to be for building and creating and solving problems and, and getting people excited so I see most people are like, yeah, I'm going to like bank off of this. And like, they're like constantly thinking like the end goal and like, they don't know, like their ego is so wrapped around it and they become so selfish when building the company that it kind of like, it reflects throughout the whole organization, even if they get to a certain yeah, level. Yeah, you're lucky if you, if you have that mindset, you'll be lucky if you can get to Seriously? have the whole organization. Yeah, like, <laughs> actually the craziest thing was when I, when I moved to Los Angeles, I remember thinking like, man, this is such a weird city because it all runs on these just like, like delusional people. Oh that, my God. It's like, crazy. Like if you, if you meet someone who's really into singing or really into acting, but they're in it because they love the art and the craft of it and they believe in it, that's a much, much different person than someone who's watched too many reruns of Entourage. And it's like, <laughs> I want to get into entertainment because like, gold. I want to have a sweet car and like wear a shiny suit or whatever. Um, do you see a lot of founders like that now? Well, yeah. So here's the thing. So, so the whole time I was in LA, I was like, man, like the vast majority of the people here aren't in love with the art and like the craft of acting or music or film production or any of that. They're chasing a projection and an image of what they think it's like to be into that and what they think it's like to have success in that, which is like the totally wrong thing. It's the same with, uh, you know, with, with sports, right? Like, 
you're chasing the projection of being, um, you know, in the NFL, you're probably not actually going to have the passion to be, you know, renting a field house on a weekend and hiring a coach and practicing for the combine on your own time. Like you're just not going to do it. Um, you know, and so when I moved to San Francisco, I saw the exact same thing with all these founders. I was like, wait a second, there's literally like, is virtually indistinguishable the types of people I'm running into in Silicon Valley as I was running into in LA. Like they're all chasing, like the vast majority of these people are chasing a projection of what they think it's like to be a startup founder, um, you know, versus a smaller percentage that you meet that actually have a, have a passion for building and creating something. And those are the, the it's, that's, it's funny because it's that small percentage that actually goes somewhere with it too. Yeah, like when, when Rudd and I moved to San Francisco to start Swarm, we would get invited to like meetups and like these happy hours and like mixers um, and shit like that. And then like people would always ask us like, you know, what are your plans for South by Southwest? And we're like, we're not going. Burning because man. there's no way to build a, like that's not gonna help our business if we just go get drunk in Austin, Texas for a week. So they're like, but it's South by, it's the biggest event of the year. And I'm like, <laughs> great, but like, I don't see how that's gonna help my business. Like I'd rather just like sit here and like make phone calls than, you know, go to the stupid event. I mean, it's it's so funny because I, I feel like being in, like entrepreneurship's like the new rapper now. Like, like, <laughs> and, like for some reason, like everybody wants to do it. Um, and it, relating back to like I mean, high risk, high reward. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I mean, you know, relating back to banquet. I mean, it's pretty cool. It's easy to get your feet off the ground um, when Nas writes you a check. Well, yeah, but getting getting yeah, getting Nas to give us money was not easy. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> No, I mean, but like you were able to like keep grounded, I guess, and not be like, oh, yeah, now I mean, that like, yeah, that was cool because like once we found out that like he like he was one of our biggest seed investors, and it was purely by chance that like we met his manager, and we found out that he like invested in forty other companies, but like we're definitely not special. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, we need to make him some money, so he returns my calls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like founders in general, regardless of who they raise from, it could be Sequoia, Bessemer, mm-hmm. um, it could be any foundation. I mean, like after you raise such a large round, it, it seems like some, for some founders I've noticed, it's very hard for them to keep their feet on the ground and they, they kind of just take the foot off the pedal because they like have this like euphoric high of like, I just raised and like, Oh, like now I can like relax. And it's kind of really not the point. You have a PL still to like, yeah, on the board. I, never, I mean, that's probably, probably the best thing that happened in the first two companies was that we were so bad at raising money it had such shady businesses that we were trying to get people to put money into that like we never raised enough money to do anything other than like keep the lights on and, just, <laughs> and, and be able to pay our employees, right? Like right. That, was, that was it. Um, so there was never a cause for celebration because it was basically like we almost died and didn't. And you're like, cool, all right, now we just gotta get back to work. And what I've seen is there's some first time founders and there's been some companies um, who I won't name here in the city in the last even 12 months go raise a big round, take their eye off the ball, and all of a sudden... No, good too. Well, yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like, that's a good way to be out of a job as a founder, which also sucks too, because founder-led companies have uh, uh, have a much higher likelihood of success. And so like, if you slack off on the job as a founder, you're basically robbing all of your employees of an increased likelihood of uh, you know being successful. So like in the end, fundraising is a tool to help you build the thing that has all the value, but like in and of itself is not like, that's not the end game. Right. And I, I think a lot of people tie their ego to like how much money I've raised. Like, yeah, it's a terrible idea. Like 
I'm really proud of the revenue we're generating. I'm proud of the types of customers that we're signing. I'm proud of uh, the products we're releasing. Um, you know, and really proud of the team that, that we built. The money has enabled us to do all those things. So I'm like very, very thankful um, that we've been able to get some great investors so far. I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll get even, you know, continue to bring on great people. But you know, the night we closed the Series A, there was no party. There was no. Yeah. I mean, also it was Valentine's Day, and I was upset. <laughs> like, we're only going to raise one Series A for our series. He's like, right, and then we were going to raise one Series B. <laughs> but it was kind of like it was like we were. I think we were all like we were very thankful and and, and like proud, but it, like it wasn't a reason to go party. And you know, just one last question, Ryan. I mean, what is one thing you would tell your team and your younger self from when you started being an entrepreneur, from what you know now, and why? Um, so I think that probably the biggest thing that I learned that I learned quickly uh, was that really your only job is to solve problems, right? Uh, and so I think that's the thing is like most people know someone or several people that you know had an idea for a company, went out and tried to start it, it didn't you know and, and, it, and it like didn't work. And so what's the first thing you guys hear? Well, you know we were gonna do this thing and then this happened, or we started doing this thing and then this other thing happened and then we couldn't do it, right? Um, and so people, I think, think that the actual job is come up with an idea and then go do the work. Well, if it was that easy, we would all be running our own companies and, you know, flying spaceships and, and whatever. Uh, it's, that's not the case. Like, actually, like the idea and the plan is, is really the easy part. Um, the only thing that's going to separate a company that succeeds from one that fails is how quickly you can address problems and, and how effectively you can, you can solve them, which... It's kind of a wake up call for some people because you see like the it's kind of the highlight reel of companies that have worked out and you're like, oh I want to do that and like I'm ready to struggle and then yeah. you're like, yeah, when you're actually struggling, like it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I, <wanna do> this. <laughs> I mean that's it, that's really pretty much like the thesis of the podcast, right? Because yeah. like people usually walk six to twelve months later, usually people walk back with their tail between their legs because they're like, We didn't expect this. Like Yeah, it's so it's so much easier to say you're up for challenge and then when things are actually hard you're like no this is all right i'm gonna go home <laughs> <laughs> well ryan thanks so much for hopping on the podcast man cool thanks for coming down yeah sweet thank you <laughs> thanks again to our sponsor brex the first corporate credit card for startups brex was built for founders managing growing tech businesses and has been adopted by some of the best startups Brex perfected the corporate credit card by rebuilding the credit card processing and issuing technology from scratch. Brex offers instant online sign-up with no founder liability or security deposit required. By underwriting your company based on equity raising cash in the bank, Brex can offer limits 10 to 20 times higher than other credit cards. Brex also comes with simple expense management software, so you never have to save a receipt again. It helps you run your startup the way it's supposed to be run. I've tried Brex myself, and honestly, it's magical. Sign up for Brex at brex.com. Listeners can get card fees waived by entering the code UNSEXY during sign-up. Brex, the first corporate credit card for startups. For any of our listeners who found this podcast helpful, click the subscribe button and follow us on our social handles that we provided in our description. We are always looking for more challenging topics to dive deep into. If you have any great topics we could talk about on the Unsexy Startup, please send a message to the email that I've provided in the link below. Until next episode, this is Smy Parikh signing off.